and getting to the purpose of his letter here. And we will um, we'll look at verses 6 through 10 and uh, visit that further along. Let's stand together as we read God's Word together. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even we, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would... uh, Sorry, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Lord, uh, as with so much in your word, a challenging word today, reminding us to hold fast to what you've given us in your word. Teach us today to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. I'm going to pull up another version here real quick. So, in most other of his letters, if not all, the Apostle Paul starts out with the greeting like we looked at last week, where he identifies himself and says that phrase, grace and peace, which we talked about at length last week. And then he compliments the church somehow. Like one of my favorites, just a couple of pages later, uh, is is probably one I've read hundreds of times in public worship. And it reminds us of that partnership when he says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, Philippians 1 verse 3. And and he says, and in every prayer of mine, I make all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Very happy words. And, it, and he does get into some things with the Philippians, although the Philippian church is very different than the Galatian church, and he deals with different issues. But the Galatians, he wastes no time in getting right to the nitty-gritty of his message. He says... In no uncertain terms, why did you blow it already? You've already messed it up. Now, we shared, and in, in, in the date matters on this, because we, we find that this is one of Paul's earliest writings, if not the earliest we have. Probably First and Second Thessalonians are older. I've shared that every week, but it's important to the context of what we're looking at here. Because as he traveled through Asia Minor, he helped establish these churches. He preached the gospel he told them, as he said here, a pure gospel. And now this mattered to Paul because of many reasons. First of all, it's because of where he came from. Remember, he was a teacher of the law. He was the Pharisees of Pharisees, as we learned just a couple of pages earlier in 2 Corinthians. He knew the law backwards and forwards, and he was a persecutor of the church, even to the point of killing people for their faith in Jesus Christ. And he meets uh, Jesus on the Damascus Road. He goes and he spends his three years in the wilderness where God teaches him all the things he had wrong along the way. You ever been three years in the wilderness? Some people call it seminary. I'm just saying. Um, But... 
you learn all of these things. He learned all these things about how he had misinterpreted the gospel. And now that he knew Jesus, it would make sense. And so here he is telling the Galatian church just that. He's proclaiming the purest form of the good news of Jesus Christ. And he starts out with the eternal nature of God in the first couple of verses. He delivers us from our sins. He rescued us from our fate. We, without a Savior, are lost. And not just lost on your way to the grocery store like we talked about in our class this morning. But you're just wandering out and you're destined for destruction. And there are so many ways that we can look at the world through the lens of the gospel and it, and it makes a lot more sense about where we are today. Because if you look at what's happening in the world around us, you'll see that people are grasping and grasping and grasping. And one of the popular phrases of the last 20 years or so, although it's been in development for much longer than that, is find your truth. Well, the problem is, is that it's either true or it's not. Truth is not a relative thing. Truth is concrete. It's either right or it's wrong. Things don't change. And this will make some people mad, but biology is biology. Man is, is man. Woman is woman. That's the way we're created. That is the way God has created us. And it's for purpose. It's for the expansion of the human race. And w when, when we start changing the very foundations of, of what is real, of what is true about our existence, all it does is confuse people and drive them further into the depths of despair. And the thing that pulls us out is the truth. The truth is that we have a loving God, that yes, He does bring judgment on the world for sin, but He Himself took that judgment that He is the one who was the only one worthy to receive the punishments. He, even though He knew no sin, He died. And theologically, we must understand that without the shedding of pure, innocent blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so this symbolism led up in the law to this day where the ultimate Lamb of God comes, that is Jesus Christ. And Jesus fulfills that, and we celebrated just a couple of weeks ago, Easter Sunday, where we see the resurrection after that pure, spotless offering is made upon the cross. And now Paul, because of his salvation, because of his encounter with the Lord, because of his newfound understanding of the law as fulfilled in Jesus, is proclaiming the gospel throughout his world. He is obedient to the call that he has been that's been placed upon him by the Lord Jesus Christ to be the messenger to the Gentiles, to the Greeks, which I'm very thankful he was, because guess who's a Gentile? Pretty much everybody in this room. And that message is not now just for the Jew, but it's for everybody. Everyone is a sinner, and we're all under the same penalty, that is death. But the hope that we have comes from Jesus Christ because he fulfills that law. And Paul was a missionary to these people. 
He goes and he proclaims the gospel. He helps start the church in Galatia, whether it's in the northern part or the southern part, as we talked about last week. doesn't really make a difference here. He is at the foundation, the church planter, as we would say in today's world. He is the one who goes and lays the seed of the gospel and tills it and waters it. And then he goes on to another place and does the same thing in another place. And it's, it's perceived that possibly he's further on into, the, into Greece, into Europe now, as he's even writing this, as he answered that Macedonian call. You can look that up in the, in the book of Acts. And now he writes back and he says, wait a second. And, and really, that's the, the seed of this entire letter is why did you and how did you mess it up so quickly? We're going to learn more in the next few weeks about some people that are called the Judaizers in the, in the Galatian church. And I'm not going to dive into it now because we're going to come back to it a lot later. But, but these individuals were believers or were, had received what Jesus had done, that he was the Messiah. But they had a problem. They came and they brought something back to the Galatian church that had no business being there. And that was the requirement of fulfilling the law. Paul gets a little graphic. Just heads up, it's a little PG-13 as you get into Galatians chapter 2 and 3 along the way. But... Paul hears about what's happening here and is greatly discouraged, if not angered, by them. And if you look at uh, the letters to the Corinthians, you see that he is not shy about speaking his displeasure in these moments. So what we, where we find ourselves is he skips this, this pattern that he has in most of his other letters of thanksgiving, of a compliment to the church, and he says, you guys, you guys have blown it. You've messed up. And how did it happen so quickly? I am astonished. That word means exactly what it says here. In another translation, it says, I am amazed. You can put any word there along the way that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. Now, the, the, the interesting thought there, but is he, he's actually drawing together his personal testimony in this moment. He's saying, I taught you these things about Jesus. And you see that. He's deserting him who called you in the grace of Jesus Christ. He's speaking of God. He's speaking of, of those who brought the message to him. And he says, and he's turning to a different gospel. And the problem is, is that that word gospel means something. Literally translated into English, it means good news. And, it, and it's euangelion, evangelism. It's the root for the word we have for the proclamation of the gospel. And people say, why do pastors and, and all these Christians people, Christian people end up preaching all the time? It's because we've been told to. Following the, the instructions of our king. But this different gospel is problematic. Because once you start adding things to the basics in order to find your salvation, you lose your salvation. Not that you would lose your salvation. I do believe in once saved, always saved. That's, that's foundational, what I believe. But if, if, you, if you start saying, 
that you have to do this and this and this and this and this beyond faith in Christ, you are discounting what Christ did for you. Because the fact is, is that we cannot do it ourselves. We can't. Verse 7 addresses that. He says, not that there is another one, another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. To corrupt, to pervert. And, and that, that root word that's there in the Greek, actually, it comes out and, and it's a picture of an exact opposite of what is presented. So, the, this, this word distort doesn't mean you just change it a little bit. It means that what is being presented has changed it completely. It's the complete opposite. So instead of salvation by a gift, that is the gift of God, that is Jesus Christ our Lord, it is now salvation plus you have to do this and this and this and this and this. And that is to keep the law. Now, the law is not a bad thing. Rules exist for a reason and for a purpose. But the truth of the gospel is that the law itself, we cannot fulfill it. And if we break one little tiny piece of it, we're condemned. And so when you start adding to faith, the faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and saying, but to say that you're a Christian, so now you, in order to stay a Christian, have to do this, 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 and this. Or because you're a Christian, you have to do this in order to keep your salvation. Paul's calling that um, some bad words here. Even if, well, it, it, he, he continues, verse 8. It's, it's one of those things where you can come plainly to it. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a, a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. All right, that, that's, that's strong, right? Strong language. Now, before you get confused here about how an angel could preach something that is contrary to truth, remember who the devil is. The devil is a fallen angel. Go look in the, in the book of Isaiah. You can track that down. I believe it's chapter 13. You can see where that is described. It's not so much where it happens. But we know that somewhere before the creation of the world, this break happened where the devil fell and took, it says, a third with him, of the angels with him. And we see that from the very beginning, this has been the point of problem. So much so that God prophesied it from the first pages of what we see in our scriptures. He does? Yes, he does. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Remember that word I used a minute ago? The euangelion? That's the Greek word. Well, now we're going to use another Greek word that sounds this way, and it's extra super nerdy, just so you know. Proto-euangelion. I know, you're impressed. All right, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is the account of 
Adam and Eve's disobedience and the judgment that fell upon them from the Lord. Remember, they have one rule. It wasn't my rule. You guys talked about my rule, right? Don't be dumb, although it applies. No, they have one rule. What was the rule? Don't eat that fruit. Could have been an apple. Most of the time it's presented as an apple. doesn't say it's an apple. I just blew some of your minds. Just read it. It just says, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because when they eat of that tree, they will have knowledge of good and evil. God said, Didn't, don't do it. Well, then the devil comes and tricks both of them, the man and the woman. There's all kinds of arguments in Bible study classes about whose fault it is. You can have those arguments. It doesn't matter because we blew it. And so they ate of the fruit, and all of a sudden they realized they were naked. They didn't even know that was before then. And so then when they hear the voice of the Lord coming, because after they've been deceived by the serpent, he says, you shall not surely die, right? All that. So what we find is that we, we find this, gospel, this, um, this word spoken of deceit by the serpent. And we find that God has a different plan for things because of that. We go to Genesis chapter 3. It says, because you have done this, he says to the serpents, the enemy, cursed are you above all livestock and above beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, that's a fun word, between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This in the evangelical circles of, I mean, the academic circles is called, as I said, the, the proto-euangelion. It's the first spot of the message of the gospel that we see. That's all that means. It's the first proclamation. And we find that God, because of the problem of our sin, already has a plan. And this points forward to what Jesus ends up doing to Satan on the cross. Now, you can dive into what did the serpent look like. It could talk and it could walk. Okay, go look that up. Have fun. But it says here that then now the serpent is cursed because of what had happened through it from the devil. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And then it continues on with some other things there. But what we find is that this is the first proclamation of what would happen to the descendant of Eve. And throughout the scriptures, you know, there's a lot there between what we just looked at. There's, there's at least that much. I got, uh, we find that that descendant is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And it takes a lot of work to get there. And I encourage you to do the work because it's worth it. But it, that, work, that work just shows you what the work is. And the work has been done for us. When that descendants took the penalty for our sin on the cross. And that, that's the gospel that was proclaimed to this church, to these people. 
And here they are, receiving something else on top of it. Now, before we start getting self-righteous, let's think about how we live our lives sometimes. We want to... We want to make everybody else look like us when the point of our faith is that we might look like Christ. And when we try to make people look like us first, we're doing exactly what these Judaizers that we'll talk about, that Paul's addressing here, he just hadn't named them yet, are doing. We're saying, no, you've got to get cleaned up first. You've got to fool this, 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 and this rule in order for Jesus to receive you. Friends, that's, that's apostasy. That's heresy. We're either saved by faith or we're not. And our salvation comes down to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. In verse 9, Paul punches that in the face. He says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now, I hear about preachers, I hear it about teachers. What does it mean when somebody repeats themselves usually? One of two things. It's important or they're crazy. Right? It could be said about both if you read some of the Apostle Paul along the way. But it, because it's placed in priority here in this letter, I think it's pretty important. We have to realize that in order to be saved, it is by faith, by His grace, because of what He has done for us on the cross. And when He rose from the dead, He conquered that grave. And now He sets it in place that we might find Him forever. Forever. God loves you. He hates sin because it kills us. And so when we start embracing sin... We're embracing death. And in, in death, we lose the, the power of the gospel in our lives. And so when we start adding things in order to be saved, we, we, don't, we don't really have a true knowledge of how much God loves us then. We are called in response to the gospel. Not, be, not in order to be saved, but because we are saved to get sin out of our lives. You can follow a bunch of rules. And it may make your life healthier here on earth. And you may extend your days a little bit. 
but it's not going to change the fact that eventually we're going to run out of oxygen. We're going to face our last day. And how we respond to what we see here is the thing that matters. Jesus saves those who trust in Him. And throughout the gospel, throughout the gospels, what does He say to those whom He has healed or forgiven? He says, go and sin no more. That we have been transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ would change our actions and what we do. Not that those things would save us. So these, these people are going back and they're looking at the, the law already, but they're ignoring the fact that Jesus fulfilled that law. And Jesus says, follow me. It's not that we would try to add something on to it. Now, in response, and we will get to this later in Galatians, we are called to live a certain way. That is repentance. That is sanctification. That is that we would bring glory to Christ by what we are and who we are, whose we are. I can add all kinds of pronouns before that. But it's a response to what has happened. So the question is, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Have you received his forgiveness, that thing? That alone is what saves you. Everything after that is a response to his goodness at work in your life. And that means that we are going to constantly be coming back to the word and, and looking at our lives and saying, is this bringing glory to Jesus? And maybe I do need to change my behavior then. Or I do need to get something out of my life. Or I do need to add something to my life in order to help me draw closer to Christ in my relationship with Him now that I am saved. But that moment of faith is where it starts. And the question today is, do you believe? And that's the question for every day, honestly. What do you believe? The good news. The gospel. The euangelion. The proto-euangelion. Whatever you want to put with it. But the good news is that God loves you. That His Son, He in flesh, God in flesh, Jesus came and paid and fulfilled that law and now offers you the gift of salvation. So what do you do with it? Romans says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's that, that moment, that belief of belief, of trust in Him. And then He calls us to a task in response to that. And Romans and Galatians are kind of cousins, and I've, I'm going to pull out a verse from Romans here. These letters are very similar, except Romans is four times as long. At least three times anyway. 
But the very beginning of the book of Romans, the letter of Romans, Paul says, verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, I think I forgot to get to the screen there, but here it is. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. My friends, that is the good news, that we are found right before God because He has done it. What are you going to do with it today? Will you receive and trust in Him and take that step of trust and obedience in Him? tell the world what you know is true in the gospel. The world's going to stand up to you. The world's going to hate you because of this. And, uh, and it's not getting simpler with that. But he calls us to be faithful. To believe. To continue to believe. To trust in him. And it's revealed to us by his spirit. In his word. The righteous live by faith. The plan all along has been the price being paid by the Son. He did it for you. Will you receive it today? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Every time I come back to a passage like this, I'm reminded that I can't do it. That you have done it. Lord, I pray that you would give courage to the one who needs to take that trust, that step of trust and, and, and believe in you today. That you would guide them to that place of salvation, that they would be bold in their obedience to you. I thank you that you love us, and I thank you that you gave yourself for us. And help our lives bless you this day as we have the opportunity to worship you in Jesus' name.